Today I want to talk about breakthrough and um, understanding that God wants to give us spiritual breakthrough in our lives. And I thought maybe just get a little definition of what breakthrough is. Uh, breakthrough, let's see, is an act or instance of moving through or beyond an obstacle or a sudden advance, especially in the knowledge or technique. Now, there's been a lot of breakthroughs. I did a little Google search. I said, what are the most uh, tremendous breakthroughs in history? Uh, the Atlantic Monthly had an article out, and they listed the top 50 breakthroughs. You know what number one was? No, it wasn't the Internet. It was the printing press in 1403. Number two, no, electricity, electricity. Number three, penicillin, 1928. Number four, semiconductors, electronics, 1950s. Number nine, the internet. <laughs> You got it. Uh, number 15 was the airplane in 1903. And uh, number 16 was personal computers. And number 45 was the television. So, you know. But breakthroughs that change the course of history, that change technology, that affect so many people. There's so many different breakthroughs that happen. Nehemiah had a breakthrough that affected his own life, but not only his own life, also the life of his family, of his community, and his nation. And how did he receive this breakthrough? That's what I want to talk about today. How does God give us a spiritual breakthrough in our lives? Because I know I need one. You need a breakthrough? Tell your neighbor, I need a breakthrough. I need a breakthrough. That's right. You know, we all need breakthroughs. In fact, you may not think of it, but pastors... We, all, we need breakthroughs. You know, my, my daughter is uh, on, a, on staff at church, and her husband is a pastor. And she sent me this video that I want to show you. And it talks about having a breakthrough. And for pastors, we definitely need a breakthrough. So listen to this one. You'll, you'll find it interesting. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> pastor Peter and I are going to start wearing... Uh, Football helmets, and instead of walking through doors, we're just going to go right through the windows. You, know? you see, everybody needs breakthroughs. Pastors need breakthroughs. We all need breakthroughs. It's enormous. Sometimes we have enormous problems or situations that keep us stagnant, that keep us bound, or we face barriers. Sometimes we need a relational breakthrough, sometime in our family, sometimes it's a marriage, sometimes it's a relationship with a child. We need a breakthrough. Or sometimes it's a spiritual breakthrough that we need, that we've just don't sense the presence of God in our lives, or we don't understand his blessing or what he's doing in our lives. And so we need a breakthrough and a deeper understanding of what he's doing. And sometimes we face an impenetrable wall, or it seems like it, and we actually try to uh, get closer to God, but it almost seems like we're bouncing off a wall like that guy was, right? And then we get up and try again, and then we bounce off, or our prayers seem like they're bouncing off the wall. Well, how do we get a spiritual breakthrough? 
I want to suggest to you that breakthroughs come, especially as we pray, as we draw closer to the Lord, even as we bounce off the barriers of our obstacles, God can humble us and reorientate us to really become humble before him and seek his face. Well, sometimes some of the things that uh, really cause a breakthrough in our lives is when we begin to care for other people, not just about our own situation, our own problems, but when we turn our eyes towards other people and their tremendous needs. And we begin to have a caring attitude. I think one of the things that is uh, so difficult in our lives and what will cause a spiritual barrier is when we become indifferent. George Bernard Shaw said this in one of his plays, One of the worst sins towards our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to become indifferent to them. When we have an indifferent attitude, when we don't care anymore... When we're just thinking about ourselves, sometimes that puts us in a spiritual barrier. You know, Jesus summarized that idea. He really spoke against it. When you think about the the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? When Jesus puts these religious people that pass by a man who's beaten, bloody, and left for dead, and everybody just walks by them, except a Samaritan who comes and picks them up and helps them. He showed a care, a concern. Jesus' parable rebukes anyone who folds their hands in a difficult plight of others and says, well, whatever. Uh, Ask me if I care. It's not my problem. When we look into the life of Nehemiah, he was most likely a smart, handsome, intelligent, trustworthy, hardworking man with a good job. Someone like Timmy here. Right? Nehemiah was one of God's people, but he was the cupbearer to the king. He was a cupbearer to the king. And Warren Worsby says this, a man who stood that close to the king in public had to be handsome, cultured, knowledgeable in court matters, and able to converse with the king and advise him if asked. Because he had access to the king, the cupbearer was a man of great influence that could be used for good, or for evil. See, being a cupbearer was more than a butler. It was a great job, and yet Nehemiah needed a breakthrough. And so what did he do? One of the things that God has for us if we desire to have a breakthrough is to have a concern and care for others. And so the book of Nehemiah starts off in late autumn, about this time of year, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. And it says, I was in a fortress of Susa. That was the capital of Persia. Hen and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. That means in Jerusalem, about a 1,000 miles away. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And when Nehemiah hears this, he could have said, it's not my problem. But he doesn't say that. In fact, what he does, he goes, when I heard these things, I sat down 
and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah just didn't silently close his eyes and say, oh, that's too bad, let me pray for him right now. He took days where he mourned and he fasted and he prayed for people that were 800 to 1,000 miles away from him. And so he has this heart that cares for other people. Nehemiah was concerned for them. And what he did is to show his concern, he began to pray. And I know in our society, in our culture today, prayer is probably one of the lowest priorities. But it is the greatest tool that God has given us to be able to be effective in what God has called us to do. Whether it's in our own life, in our families, in our community, or even in our nation or world. God wants us to be praying people. In fact, Satan knows that and he will try everything he can to discourage us from calling out to God. And I know many of you have come to a desperate situation where there seems to be no answer. There seems to just be a wall there. And unless God comes through, it's all over. And I've seen God come through for you. I've seen how he's answered your prayer. But God wants us to go beyond just our own lives. He wants us to go into the lives of others and intercede for them. And that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah had that heart for God and his kingdom. You see, whenever we're in, whenever we're facing a barrier that, needs, that we need to break through, you, I, I can guarantee you there's also a spiritual battle going on in our lives as well. Uh, Samuel Chadwick said this. He was a great preacher. He said, Satan laughs at our toil mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. And so when we pray, when we begin to pray, God begins to do things in our lives and in the situation that we're facing. Let's take a look at Nehemiah's prayer. What did he pray? He starts out in just acknowledging who God is. And a lot of times we have to get out of ourselves and realize that we have an open door and we have access to the very throne of God. The Bible says that we can come to him with confidence into his throne room. It says, The Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. And so Nehemiah starts with worship. He recognizes who God is, that he's a covenant-keeping God. And that's a really big thing because it just means he's a God who keeps his promises, who's careful to do what his word has said in the scripture. And for Nehemiah, he must have been a man who was not only cultured and had a good job, but he knew the scripture. And if you know the scripture and you understand what the Bible says, it will give great authority and confidence to your praying. If you don't know the scripture and you don't know the character of God, then a lot of times we're just wishful prayers. We have no confidence. We have no faith. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible says our faith is actually built up through knowing the word of God understanding the character of God, understanding what he's like. And Nehemiah understood that. He understood that God was a God who was faithful to his covenant that wouldn't let his people go. We're going to see that in a little while. 
But he also understood that his people had sinned against him. And even he had sinned. So Nehemiah doesn't just blame other people for the situation that the the people of God are in, but he looks at himself as well. And he says this. He goes right into a confession. He says, I confess the sin we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed your commands, the decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. You see, Nehemiah says, I know I'm the problem. I'm part of the problem, he says. Me and my family. Even though, Lord, you've blessed me here in Persia, and I'm the cupbearer to the king, and every need has been met in my life, but I also understand what's going on in Jerusalem is directly been impacted by my life. And so, Lord, I confess to you, I need your forgiveness. And so he humbles himself. One of the most powerful things we can do in coming to prayer is to humble ourselves before God. Not grovel in our sin, but to acknowledge it and to say, Lord, I don't have the answers. I need your forgiveness. I'm dependent upon you. And I'm trusting that you know what's best. But show your mercy to me and show your mercy to the person that I'm praying for. You know, when we care about people, the the same thing that we can do is we can blame the people that we care about. Oh, they're in that situation because they did that. But Nehemiah doesn't do that. Nehemiah acknowledges and he understands and he says, look it, I know I've made mistakes. I know I've sinned. I know I've done the wrong things too. So God, would you in your mercy forgive I'm depending upon your mercy because, Lord, we haven't been as obedient as we should be. See, Nehemiah was self-aware. He was self-aware of his own sins, his own weaknesses, his own struggles, and he was able then to become aware of what other people were doing, and then he was also able to intercede for them correctly and effectively. So, We're going to be having 21 days of prayer and fasting at LIAC. And we do it every year. Sometimes we do it in January. Sometimes we do it in the fall. And you say, oh, we're going to do that again? Yeah, because we need prayer. We do need prayer. And we're going to um, focus on breakthrough prayer. And we're going to be looking at uh, Daniel next week. But this week we're looking at Nehemiah's breakthrough prayer. But what does fasting do? Fasting in the Bible is to deprive yourself of physical food so you can intentionally be in the presence of God and receive spiritual wisdom and strength. So what it does is it you kind of clear a part of your day out by not eating. And back in ancient days, to make a meal could take you all day long. I mean, if you think about it, they didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have canned goods. I mean, you've got to slaughter the chicken or whatever you've got to do, defeather it, boil. You know, you've got to, it takes, it's a process. I've lived on a farm for a few years. It's a whole process to do something like that. But what they did is they said, I'm not going to eat today or I'm not going to eat for these two meals or whatever like that. And I'm going to just focus on the Lord. 
and use the time I would have done for that to focus on God. For us, it could be a five-minute microwave meal, right? (laughs) But we have to think creatively in the sense of how could I fast so that I could have more time to be in God's presence and undistracted in his presence. And so we've included in fasting, we've included this idea of getting away from our phones and getting away from screen time and television to take that time to focus on God and to spend that time doing that. And so I know Lori and I, we, we shut off our TV for 21 days. Um, and we try to regulate how much time we spend on our phone or anything like that in social media. So what God wants us to do is then use that time to focus on him and humble ourselves before him. Do you know that Jesus fasted and he expected us to fast? He said, he didn't say uh, if you fast, he said when you fast, you do this. And Jesus modeled fasting. Jesus said, remember he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights but one of the things that he did was he, he said, it's written, you know, when Satan tried to tempt him to turn the stones into bread, Jesus said, no. It's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I know a lot of people, when I talk about fasting, they'll say, when I fast, that's all I think about is food. I think about the food I'm not going to be able to eat. And I want to challenge you to do something different. Think about the Word of God. Get the Scripture out and start to meditate on it and allow it to be your spiritual food. And pray through the Scripture that God has given you and allow it to speak into and guide your prayer because that's most powerful. You know, um, the moms in prayer, they have a prayer sheet that they go through and they list certain scriptures about the character of God and a theme that they're uh, talking about. And a lot of times that guides how they pray for their children or grandchildren. But in a similar way, God can use the scripture in our lives to guide us and direct us. And I believe Nehemiah was looking at the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy and in 1 Kings, and he was reading about what happens when people, when God's people are captive, held in another country as slaves, and how do they get restored back to Jerusalem? And God had so many verses about it. And so Nehemiah began to pray according to the word of God for his situation, and God can do, you can use the word of God in your situation as well to pray. But it takes time, it takes thought, it takes intentionality. And I'm not saying that Nehemiah just didn't shoot up arrow prayers because he did. He says, I'm going in to see the king, Lord, help me. You know, he didn't have time to make a big theological prayer out of it. But Nehemiah did spend days seeking God, fasting, praying, mourning over the sin of of his sin and the people's sin. Nehemiah was, had caring. He was caring. He confessed his sin. And then he had this communication with God that he read the word of God, he understood the word of God, and it guided how he prayed. So there was this communication between him and God through the scripture 
or through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same thing can be for us today. And these are some of the verses I believe Nehemiah went through. There's 1 Kings. It says, when they sin against you, there is no one who does not sin. And you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies who take them captive to their own lands far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors and say, we've sinned, we have done wrong, we've acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the land you gave their ancestors toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name. If they do that, Lord, if they actually humble themselves in the land of their captors, in the barrier or the bondage that they face themselves in, Lord, you're going to give them a breakthrough when they call on you. And then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all their offenses they have committed against you and cause their captors to show them mercy. And this is exactly what happens to Nehemiah. It's exactly what happens. Nehemiah goes before the king of Persia. The king looks at him and says, why are you so sad? You've never been sad in my presence before. Why are you so sad? And and then he begins to share. He says, my people, their city is broken down. The walls of the city are broken down. Well, what do you want me to do, Nehemiah? I want you to give me permission to go back to that city and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And for Nehemiah to do that and to ask the king that was a great step of faith. Because the king could have said, No way I'm letting you go. I need you here. To be a cupbearer to the king was to protect the king as well. Because if somebody tried to poison him or assassinate him, Nehemiah was there to protect the king. And Nehemiah must have had a great reputation because the king valued his friendship and his position. But Nehemiah laid it all on the line. He really felt as he began to pray... God stirring his heart that he wanted Nehemiah to be a part of the answer to the prayer that he was praying. And this is another reason why we have 21 days of prayer and fasting. Why? Because in 21 days, if you're continuing to pray about a situation, pretty soon God's going to begin to give you wisdom and insight on the situation that you're going through that you didn't have before. And then he's going to give you a plan and a strategy on how to be involved in the answer to the prayer that you are praying or for the person or the situation that you're in. And he's always done that with his people. And so God wants us to experience that as well. One of the most famous verses of all that we always talk about when we pray for even the United States when Christians get together and pray for the United States, is this this verse here, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, that means to repent of sin, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and will heal their land. 
That's powerful. You see, when we begin to pray and we have a concern for people, when we begin to pray about our own sin, when we have that direction from the Lord and He gives us wisdom, then the next thing is obedience. I mean, a commitment to obedience. And then what happens is we begin to see a breakthrough. So Nehemiah was willing to take a faith-filled risk, approach the king, but not only was he willing to ask the king for help, he was actually willing to go. He was actually willing to adjust his life to what God wanted him to do. You think about that. Nehemiah had to travel a thousand miles to get back to Jerusalem. And it says that Nehemiah had been praying not for um, just a few days, but for three months before he asked the king. And it was another three months before he left for Jerusalem. So when he leaves for Jerusalem, most people think that it would probably take, go to 1,000 miles at 20 miles a day in a caravan. would have taken him 50 days to get there. So he gets to Jerusalem after 50 days. He sees the walls that have been broken down. Do you know how long the walls in Jerusalem had been broken down? Over 100 years. This had been a problem that had been taking place over and over again, generation after generation for 100 years. It's like if there was a problem in your family in 1919 and that hasn't changed It's the same problem for a hundred years. And it's a terrible problem. It's like if you don't fix the walls in Jerusalem, then you're never, ever going to be protected. You're never, ever going to be able to raise your family. And this had been going on for a hundred years. So it was an overwhelming problem. Nobody had ever solved it before. And then God directed him to go and be a part of the solution to that. And the miracle was, in 52 days, Nehemiah rebuilt all the walls of Jerusalem. Now, Hank Chung is an architect. Can you get something done in 52 days, a building? No, he's going to China like every, for two years now. Right? Because people don't work together a lot of times. But in this time, because God answered prayer, because God was at work, there was such unity, there was such a sense, this is what God has called us to do, that everybody did their part. And in 52 days, the remnant of the people of Jerusalem rebuilt their walls, something that hadn't been done in 100 years. You see, God can do beyond what we could ever do. And you think about Nehemiah. Here he is. He's cupbearer to the king. He's not an engineer, but he becomes an engineer. He's not a leader, but he becomes a leader. You know, he's not a man of great faith, but he becomes a man of tremendous faith. And do you know that when we are seeking God for a breakthrough... He does something in our lives to transform us from the inside. He begins to do things in our lives and give us a greater confidence in what he can do. 
than what we can do in ourselves. So what are some action steps if we put this into practice? Think about your need and others' need for spiritual breakthrough. And you have to ask yourself a question. Do I care enough to pray? Do I care enough to do something about it? And one of the first things you can do is humble yourself and pray. Examine yourself and confess your sin and the sins of those you care about. Stand in the gap for them. Be the one that stands between them and God. They may not even believe in God. They may not even be praying people. But you can stand in the gap for them and say, Lord, on behalf of Joe and Sarah, I'm praying. And begin to pray. Begin to ask God to intervene. Listen to what God speaks to you in your times of quietness, fasting, prayer, and Bible study. What is God saying? What is He speaking? Listening. Not only speaking to God, but then quieting down and listening to what is He saying to you. Write it down in a journal. Write it down. What are the verses that God has guided you to pray? This past week in our Alpha program, we were talking about the importance of the Bible. And one of the questions was, have you ever gotten a scripture that has impacted your life in such a way that it has changed the circumstance or changed your heart or changed your situation in your life? And then people started to share. (coughs) Some people were brand new believers. They had never read the Bible or they had never even studied the scriptures, but a few people shared And you know there's scriptures in your life that God has settled on your heart and in your mind and placed in you. Those are your go-to scriptures when God wants you to be praying. He can use those in your life. I've always told you one of the ones for Lori and I and our children has been Isaiah 54, 13. All your children will be taught of the Lord and the well-being of them shall be great. But I remember when my kids were under five years old, we'd walk around Newark in a parking lot, was fenced in with barbed wire. It was the only safe place to walk at that time of day. But we'd walk in the empty parking lot of a motor club. And it was about uh, 880, you know, it was like a track almost. And we'd walk around there, but we'd pray that scripture we pray other scriptures, but we pray also, Lord, I not only want to pray for my children, but I want to pray for the children in this neighborhood, the kids that come to Bible club, the teenagers that come to youth group. I want to pray for them. And do you know when God begins to work and lay in your heart with the promises of God and guided by the Holy Spirit, prayer becomes your real lifeline. And it can change things. Pray confidently. Act in obedience on what God says. So prayer, when we pray, begin to pray confidently and act in obedience on what God says. You you start with Nehemiah. Nehemiah starts very humble, very um, contrite. But towards the end of his prayer, and as you read through the book of Nehemiah, He becomes 
a confident leader of God. He stands up to opposition. I mean, he faced, if you read the book of Nehemiah, he faced so much opposition to rebuilding those walls. It's a miracle that he did it in 52 days. People wanted to stop him. People wanted to kill him. They set traps for his life. I mean, it was a real, real battle. And he pushed through those barriers and he broke through. You know, when we go through this, when you go through and you've seen when God answers, you thank the Lord for the breakthroughs you see in your life and the life of others. You can begin to see those things and you thank God. Do not take for granted the things that God has done. And don't think if you get a setback or you bounce off a wall once in a while that it's the end. That, okay, I guess I can't just break through. I guess that's not for me. I guess I'm just got to stay here in my dungeon of unbelief. No. God is not done. He wants to do something in your life and the life of other people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, Nehemiah's life. We thank you for these uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting that you're calling us to do as a church. Lord, I pray that you would give us, each one of us, instruction and guidance on how you want us to fast, how you want us to pray, how we can gather together as a church and, and intercede for others. But Lord, most of all, we pray that our lives will be transformed as we draw closer to you. That you will give us breakthrough in how we see things, our attitude, our hearts, and even our obedience to you. So Lord, we pray that you'd have your way in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that you promise, you promise to guide us and meet us when we call upon you. We thank you in Jesus' name.